podcast that explores the logic behind physiological birth practices and is a production of the Indie Birth Association and IndieBirth.com. No material on this podcast should be considered medical advice. Birth is not a medical event. All right. Hi, everybody, and welcome to Well Actually, a podcast with me, Margo Blackstone, as part of the Indie Birth Association. Uh, today, I have another lovely guest on that I'm really excited to talk to, and today that guest is Jesse Harold. So welcome. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. And I'll tell you all a little bit about Jesse if you haven't heard of her already. Um, Jesse Harold is a doula, coach, women's mentor, author of the recent book, Project Body Love, and her upcoming title, Mother Shift. Her work weaves between the worlds of science and magic, the personal and the political, exploring life transition and rites of passage, ecofeminism and mythology, neuroscience and attachment psychology, ancestral skills and restoring the wild feminine. She serves women and mothers one-to-one as a doula and life coach, teaches two online programs, Rewild and Mother Shift, and leads wilderness quests and pregnancy retreats. She lives in a tiny Oceanside cottage in Atlantic Canada, where she writes, works, mothers her two children, and tends to her many gardens. And I sort of uh, am super jealous of your really awesome sounding life right now as I read that. <laughs> so, uh, I don't think we have so many things we could talk about. Yeah. Uh, but I think what we were wanting to focus in on today is um, your mother shift. Um, online program and what that's all about and why you've created that and um, what you're feeling is important for women in this period of becoming mothers and figuring out what on earth that means. Yeah, exactly. It's a huge transition, isn't it? (laughs) A huge transition. I just have gone through it again now for the second time. And so it's something that's really been on my mind a lot. Uh, and so I'm curious to hear sort of how you, maybe how did you come to um, be interested in this and get into this work? Mm, yeah, I want to say that it started actually before I became a mother. So I was a doula for um, four or five years before I actually became a mother myself. And uh, um, so I had this experience of watching a lot of other women become mothers, but I was kind of out of there by about the six week mark. So I probably, I didn't really see the fullness of the transition, but I could sense the weightiness of it. And before I got pregnant, I actually approached the woman who would become my doula and my mentor and a dear friend of mine now um, and said, you know, there's more to this. I know there's more to this than just, uh, you know, conceiving and being pregnant and birthing this baby. And I wanted to know what was going to happen to me when I had a baby. I was really terrified. I was, I was feeling a little bit ambivalent even um, before I even got pregnant. And, and it was really the, this sort of transition into motherhood, this kind of you know, gazing down the precipice of becoming a completely different person. I could sense that was going to happen um, right from the beginning. And I think we have uh, sort of a dialogue in our culture around like not losing yourself, quote unquote, in motherhood or not changing, um, quote unquote, just because you're a mother. And I I kind of had the sense that it was inevitable. And so um, it was then that I think I started to really formulate some of my ideas around this identity shift. And that mentor said to me that the transition to motherhood takes two to three years. And that's, that was something that was completely new to me at the time. I think it's still very unusual when we talk about the postpartum period or the transition to motherhood now that it takes that long. And to me, that wasn't actually a scary proposition. That was um, kind of relieving that I could really screw this all up and not feel like I fit in this role and not know what the heck I was doing for at least two to three years. Um, <laughs> it felt like a huge permission slip, right? Um, and, and so it was very much uh, the transition to motherhood that I made uh, that got me curious about what this looks like for other women. And a lot of my doula work then kind of shifted into, okay, what happens in that first 
postpartum year, um, what happens in that first postpartum two to three years, and over and above what we thankfully are talking more and more about, like the fourth trimester, we're talking more about some of the physical and emotional healing and integration that women do in the postpartum period. But I think we're not, we're kind of still leaving it at that, at that fourth trimester mark and not really extending the conversation beyond that and not extending it beyond kind of the physical and, you know, immediate mental requirements or, or changes that occur for a woman. Um, and I'm really interested in expanding that conversation into this identity shift that happens to us and kind of dismantling the idea that we should not change uh, when we become mothers, because I think we just, we do. Um, and fighting that shift is something that I think gets a lot of us into a lot of struggle and, um, and difficulties. So I'm really interested in kind of having, opening up that conversation a little bit more. Yeah. Oh, there's so much there. Yeah. Um, and I do differing amounts of this on, on this podcast, but it totally is making me think of, uh, my own story and mine's a little bit different than yours in that I, you know, I, I, well, it's similar and different. So I was going to birth for about four or five years before I had my daughter too. So that's kind of a cool similarity. Yeah. Um, I had two miscarriages before I had my daughter. And so like during that year before conceiving her, like life was totally consumed with like, when am I going to get pregnant? When am I going to stay pregnant? I want to be a mom so bad. Like, and I had no, no, I had no inkling of how much it was going to change my life. <laughs> I, and I don't know that it was like a, um, I'm just going to like stay on with who I am. I think I was really young uh, and, I think I didn't quite know who I was still. And so it felt like, oh, it's no big deal. I'll have a baby. And, um, and I think this would be a cool thing to t- for us to talk about, something that really marked my experience having my, my daughter, who's now five, um, was that I had seen a lot of people go through the first six weeks as a midwifery student. Um, and I saw a lot of, like, really badass moms who, you know, maybe have had a couple babies and they just – a lot of them made it look really easy actually. Um, and so I had this sort of Pollyanna thing going into having her where I thought, Oh, if I like do the exclusive breastfeeding and the co-sleeping and all of that, like this is just going to be my dream fulfilled, you know, that I've been like longing for, for these years of watching other people have their babies. And now it's my turn. And then that so was not the experience. It was like, I thought I was doing everything right, you know, like, um, whatever that means, and still struggled a lot. And I really resonate with this concept of it taking two to three years. Um, that's definitely when I found my footing again, mm. around that two year mark, and then really more solidly by three. Um, so it's no coincidence that I then had my next baby, who's now almost three months. Um, after that point, <laughs> I really, yeah. I did not feel solid in any way, shape or form until, until at least three. So, yeah. Yeah, definitely. It's interesting. You talk about that kind of watching women in the first six weeks, you kind of triggered a memory for me, which was that I was doing a lot of breastfeeding support, even over and above um, the support just for my clients. So I, and it was really, I found it fascinating that um, I noticed that a lot of the challenges that the women that I was supporting um, with were having around breastfeeding actually, you know, when we started kind of, when I started digging deeper and asking questions about what was going on, they so often were rooted in this deep identity shift. So I'll explain. So I had one um, woman that I was working with who uh, was having, she had this like lovely big baby was born just kind of hearty and like, very keen at the breast and, and everything was going well. And then a couple of weeks later, she was like, you know, actually it's not going well at all. Um, and it seems like, you know, my supply seems to have gone down and all of these kind of things had gone on. And I went to her house and we sat and we chatted. I was like, you know, what's your life looking like right now? 
And this was her second babe and her, and her first one was a little bit older and she was kind of on the fly almost all the time. And it was, you know, doctor's appointments. And now she was, you know, she was, had her maternity leave. She was off work. So she was catching up with friends, going out for coffee. And she was, she was on the go um, for those first couple of weeks. And so when you talk about like that sort of superstar mom image that we, we often see um in the media especially like oh you're you're back at the farmer's market or whatever with a seven seven day old baby in the baby carrier which looks like i think to a lot of us a sign of success um right like you're back in the world and um anyway so i was sitting with her and i thought you know i actually think that what's maybe going on here is that you're transitioning again into motherhood and sort of releasing a part of your sovereignty and autonomy the way we all do when we have a baby and there's someone who needs us so very much um, in those early weeks and months and years really and and ultimately you know all of the kind of issues that she was having with breastfeeding had more to do with her desire to kind of get back to normal and appear to be sort of a successful, productive mom again, and to be as present for her first child and all of these kind of markers of quote unquote success um, that, you know, we're kind of, we're kind of helping her to maintain the identity that she had before having this baby when really what might have served her a little bit better was some time to rest and time to be in that liminal space of like, not a mother of just one anymore. Now I'm a mother of two. And what does that mean for me? Um, And what does it mean for me to be back at, you know, as you, you kind of described with your babe, like back at sort of this newborn phase after having um, experienced a little bit, of the sort of light at the end of the tunnel that you get at that two to three year mark when you're able to leave them a little bit more and you know, have a little bit more of your own time and freedom and space. So, yeah. So it was interesting that it was that it was those kind of breastfeeding experiences that highlighted to me um, that challenge with the identity shift was showing up um, in these really pragmatic and tangible ways around like, milk supply and healing and things like that totally yeah that that is something I've definitely seen too yeah Yeah. that that resistance or maybe the desire to cling to that prior way of life and then that somehow supersedes like the actual tan like the concrete reality of having a newborn and then and then when problems come up, people are confused why that might be, but it makes perfect sense when you look at it that way. It does. Yeah. And I think that, you know, the reason that I like to look at this as an identity shift or as a rite of passage is that when we think of rites of passage, we have to consider a period of release and loss and grief. And I think that's not something we kind of give ourselves permission to talk about when it comes to our mothering experience. Um, you know, it's sort of this supposed to be this one tone positive thing that we have a baby. That's great. Um, and so it can be challenging to say, Oh, I'm not the woman I was before. I can't do the things I could do before. Um, I don't even value the things that I valued before. Um, and this kind of sense of who am I now, but a loss of who I was then. And um, that is really uncomfortable. So I think it's, you know, it makes sense that we try to bypass it by just, you know, getting back to normal, whatever that looks like. Um, but I think it's something that we really need to talk about more often um, because it's integral to our ability to then shift into this new mother self. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's beautiful. So what are some other aspects that you feel like are not being talked about enough that maybe your awesome resources are (laughs) tapping into and and looking at um, that my listeners might want to to ponder and Mm. a little bit about? Yeah. One thing that I've noticed as I've been researching, um, this book that I'm writing on the sort of this, you know, postpartum experience is that um, 
we sort of have a almost like a blame the mom uh, kind of mentality when it comes to that postpartum period. Like you should just be doing things better. You should just be, um, you know, getting more sleep or just be, uh, you know, even even some of the really beautiful holistic resources that we have around um, that, you know, practices that support women in the first 40 days, it still lays a lot of the onus on women. Um, yeah. And what you can be doing right or better or <laughs> et cetera, et cetera. And I think I'd like to kind of also, um, highlight the fact that we are living in a, in a culture and a time that is sort of unprecedented when it comes to shaping our, postpartum experience so there's you know so many things our our technology um both our birth technology and sort of what's happening to women in their birthing process that's deeply impacting the postpartum period but then also just the straight up technology of like the fact that we have phones attached to us all the time and um people to compare ourselves to 24 hours a day and pinterest like you know things like that I think that are, are really deeply shaping um, our postpartum periods also that you know we I think we are all very aware of that lack of the village you know that we were supposed to have to support us through this time um, so that's looking really really different for women um, you know the state of our maternity leaves and the support offered for women in that regard like the list goes on. Um, and I think it's so important to kind of frame up our experiences that way. Um, and, and when we're kind of, I guess, noticing what the postpartum period is looking like for women right now in our culture with rates of postpartum depression and anxiety kind of through the roof, I think we have to really, um, realize that we're kind of we're we're mothering in a time that is unprecedented we don't even know how to do this in a way um because we've we've never had to do it before this is completely different time um and so i i am really interested in, in kind of opening up that it feels like a lot of permission and compassion when we say like that sometimes our responses to the postpartum, whether, whether we're struggling or we're actually experiencing postpartum mood disorder are just, you know, a, a pretty appropriate response to a culture that's deeply broken. Um, and so I think, you know, to kind of, um, I guess, yeah, highlight that a little bit and to remind um, new mamas that, you know, their, their, their experience is probably very normal, you know, given what kind of the culture that we're raising our babies in and, um, and to have so much compassion for if it's hard, because we've never done it like this before. We've never mothered like this before. Right. There's sort of no template for how to make it work in this circumstance. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. That reminds me on, uh, on Facebook the other day, one of my memories popped up from a few years ago, uh, probably when I was home with a very small child, my daughter at the time. Um, it was something I had read from the work of Katie Bowman, the, mm -hmm. you know her, she's a biomechanist. And it was just a snippet about how um, she said that in most traditional cultures or um, I'm trying to remember the word she used, but you know, um, pre-colonial kinds of um, cultures, we typically had, I think it was something like, I'll get it a little bit wrong, but something like 12 to 15 people a day typically would help hold the baby. Mm -hmm. You know, like the baby would typically be held by about a dozen adults in any given day. And so that load was shared in a way that's so different than, than what we're looking at now. Um, so it must have really resonated with me while I was sitting there holding the baby for, you know, the 12th hour or whatever that day and yeah. adults and like, wow, what a contrast to even think about like, what if there were four other adults around even that I trusted and not to necessarily leave, but um, yeah. it just to, to have a hand with things. And 
that's been something that's been really different with this, ex this postpartum experience for me with my almost three month old, um, is that while I've gone back to work earlier, so he was at a birth with me at six weeks, he was six oh, weeks. Yeah. Um, I have had my partner around though, uh, almost, I mean, probably 95% of the time. Whereas last time he was working full time, 12 hour shifts, four days a week. Um, so I was home alone with a brand new baby and, you know, I had no experience with the newborn and all of the things. So mm -hmm. both have been challenging, but I would say this one's been less challenging, even with just one extra adult around, um, even though we have two kids, not one. So yeah, it's like part of it is the definitely that village aspect and yeah. Wondering how like we can envision like, I, yeah, what would that even look like at this point with the way that our, you know, capitalist structure and um, single family housing, like how, how, how can we get that back is always something I feel like I come back to as a question. Mm -hmm or create something new, but that fills that same purpose. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. As you're saying that, I'm kind of, I'm thinking about um, one of the things that I notice happens with so many women that we don't often talk about is um, the shift in, well, I mean, I think all of our relationships with others shift significantly, um, especially after the first babe. Um, but our, our relationships with our mothers um, become just highlighted in a really different way and sometimes in a contentious or challenging way in that early postpartum period and, and sometimes not. Um, but as you were saying that, I was thinking about that, like how many women I'm noticing now are um, making choices that are very, very different from what um, our mothers and their mothers choices were in um, birth and motherhood and you know I think part of that is you know we have access to so much information and a lot of better information you know it's not that we're just solely referencing kind of you know the, the women in our own tiny community or the mother before us um, when we're thinking about how to raise our children and so it's fascinating to think and I, and I hear this also when women are kind of looking for community is that it's so important that that community is like-minded um, and that, right. And that, that, and that sometimes even those familial relationships that we would typically rely on um, feel really different. And I, I mean, I can't speak to how that must have been in generations past, but I find it interesting now. And, and maybe it's sort of the exponential change in the way we do everything now, not just parenting, but everything has changed so dramatically since when our parents were raising their children. But, um, but it, it's just kind of an interesting thing to think about in the way that, you know, we, we want that support and we want that village. And also um, I feel like we, we have so much more access to information and, and, Kind of opinions about that information that it might be harder to um, really connect with the people that we want to support us. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I think I see that a lot as well. Um, luckily, a lot of the people I work with right now as home birth clients have, and I don't know why, but lately I've had a lot of like-minded moms of the moms, yeah. uh, so grandmas, which has been really nice, and that always makes me feel like a little bit more relieved as the midwife. Um, yeah. They're probably going to be okay. As yeah. opposed to people who are like, you know, my mom's not really into this whole breastfeeding thing and thinks mm. I should sleep train and um, it doesn't get, you know, doesn't get it what they're trying to do at all. Yeah. Um, that not only is not helpful, but like you said, it can be contentious and add like a whole other layer to diff of difficulty yeah. to you know, who they are as a mom because, um, and I feel like I've experienced this myself a little bit, like, um, and it's come up in some different ways, but you know, my mom feeling almost like, um, like it's a judgment on her that I'm doing it differently. Yeah. Yeah. Like you doing it that way must mean that you think I was a bad mom. <laughs> right. Yeah. 
Oh, definitely. That feeling and, uh, you know, she's been overwhelmingly supportive and awesome and wonderful, but uh, there definitely have been moments where I've wondered or things have even been said that made that clear. Like, oh, this is, there's a little bit of um, discomfort around the fact that I'm making different choices. What does that mean then about how you think you were mothered by me? Exactly. You know? Yeah, I think that's a thing. I remember having this conversation with a group of women uh, after an infant massage class that I'd that I'd taught, and they were all like, "Yeah, yeah, this totally happened to me," and I I've never really spoken about it with anybody. And I think it's actually I've actually started incorporating it into my prenatal preparation. Like, how, you know, how will your relationship with your mother, or or you know, the kind of the mother figures in your life. Um, shift as a result of this babe. And I mean, I think we also kind of do a disservice to the way that our intimate partner relationships shift. Also, um, I think that's something that, you know, is, is quite a kind of surprising conversation for a lot of people prenatally, like your equal relationship is going to not look very equal for the next two to three years. It's going to look very, very different. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, that's another, uh, you know, Thank goodness, feminism. However, <laughs> the kind of you know '80s second wave feminism that a lot of us are waving our banners about doesn't really work in the in the new motherhood phase, where the workload is not divided equally, and there are like many, 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 if not most, things that um, a partner can't do actually with the babe in a lot of ways. And so, oh, so many, so many huge shifts to those relationships. Yeah, I'd love to talk more about that, maybe, um, and how that ties to the eco-feminism that jumped out at me Yeah, in your bio. I also identify, I identify as an eco-feminist um, and, and some other things, but that's something that's really interesting to me, and I have a women's studies degree, so by the end of my four years, that was sort of what I had landed on as as feeling right to me before I was ever interested in birth work. So it was cool when I started getting into that to see the connections there more. Um, but yeah, that was definitely shocking to, to me um, to feel that division of labor <laughs> in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and I still have people and, you know, in every app, every whatever that's targeted at me right now, it's a, as someone who is in the fourth trimester still being like, Oh yeah, it's this, um, I use an app that keeps track of my baby's naps, mm-hmm. like a psycho about it. Um, <laughs> I could say more about that, but, uh, it also gives you like other little tips and things. And it was like split the night shift, have dad take every other night or, you know, half the night. And I was like, then I have to pump. And like, I don't even, I'm a smart person. And I can't even figure out how that would work. How would that? And then I'd, I'd have to set an alarm, maybe. And like that sounds like I'm gonna get just the same amount of sleep. Like what? A, <laughs> what terrible. Yeah. So, yeah, I'd be curious what else you'd like to say about that piece of it because that yeah. definitely was shocking. Um, you know, my partner is also a feminist, and just like that's been the source of a lot of tension in our relationship for the mm-hmm. last time me being like I breastfeed all night like you better do this then for us to, like yeah. trying, trying to balance the scales yeah it's so difficult yeah 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 I think it's inter- it's interesting because I, I I don't know where I read this but you know in my understanding of matriarchal societies is that it wasn't necessarily that the women were the boss but that they, but that the the load the workload um was not like the same, you know, women and men did not do the same things. The women did one set of, you know, duties or activities and the men did the other set of duties. There was, there was not overlap, which when you think about it, the overlap is a little um, inefficient, maybe (laughs) quite possibly Um, just being the devil's advocate. But, um, but yeah. And so I feel like that, you know, that early postpartum sort of creates that, um, you know, non overlapping roles in a way. And, that, yeah, it's really, really challenging for people who kind of pride themselves on equality, which I think a lot of us do. And, and the fascinating thing is, and you alluded to it, it is actually much easier for the birthing mother to do the mothering things. 
<laughs> it is not easier to have someone else feed this baby, not at all, um, et cetera, et cetera. Like there's so many other things. And I think one of the conversations that I, it's a hard conversation, but that I, um, that I have with couples um, prenatally is around just kind of um, allowing the non-birthing partner to kind of understand a little bit more about what that transition to parenthood might look like for them. And that, you know, it might seem obvious, but a mama has, has started that transition from the moment she got pregnant. You know, there's this sense of like, it's almost like a bit of a jolt, especially depending on how, how intense your morning sickness might be and things like it's, it's a real kind of jolt into a new reality. And that continues as your baby grows and as your life slows down and shifts even during pregnancy. Um, and a non-birthing partner is not experiencing any of that, you know, maybe kind of vicariously, but not, not in the embodied way that a birthing partner is. And so, or that a birthing woman is. Um, and so, you know, I kind of want to give partners a lot of permission to, um, to think of their transition as something that starts maybe when the baby is born, but maybe not even then, you know, maybe that connection or that bond or whatever you might want to call it doesn't even start then. Um, the, it's, a, it's, a, it's also a two to three year process that doesn't start um, until much later. And it doesn't, I don't think it, um, you know, it, it just, I think we kind of, we put a lot of um, expectations on non-birthing partners to sort of get it or to be, you know, to kind of be fully embodied in that role a lot more quickly than they are. Um, and, and also as, as birthing people, um, our jobs, our roles are really well defined. Like you've got boobs, you're going to use them like that's, you know, <laughs> and, and so, you know, those, it's very, very clear what we're here for. Um, it's not as clear to the non-birthing partner, you know, what their role is and they have to actually kind of figure it out and try it on for size. And, you know, am I just a really, am I a good baby wearer? Maybe I'm a good baby wearer. Maybe I put this baby to sleep. Maybe, you know, there's infinite number of ways that, that they can support. Um, and I think as with the transition to motherhood, um, it, you know, the transition to parenthood in general takes a lot longer than you think it will. It's a lot longer than what you're comfortable with usually. Um, and I think that, you know, I, I always tell the story of a, um, a woman that I know who has um, a bunch of kids and she, um, she and her partner were talking about adopting another child and they were kind of, you know, just in this daydream state of like, how, you know, would we want to adopt a baby or would we want to adopt an older child? And she was very excited to adopt a baby. And he said, no, no, I like to adopt a four-year-old or maybe a five-year-old because that's when I feel like I've kind of got a, a role, a very clear and defined role here. And I always kind of try to remind people of that, that it takes, it takes longer, um, I think, for that transition to happen because the role is less defined and it, um, it uh, yeah, there's just this sort of unequal <laughs> parenting relationship that happens just by necessity in a lot of ways uh, that most people are not prepared for. Totally. And that idea that like, you know, oh, I'll see you for your six or eight week visit or whatever. And you're good at the six week visit. That means you'll be good a month. Like it's presupposing that parenthood looks the same, you know, like month yeah. to month. Yeah. That, yeah. You know, like you're describing here, like it's so different month to month, year to year. Um, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I feel, I feel like there's like kind of a number of veils that um, a woman kind of walks through, especially in those, that first year. I feel like there's like the six to eight week veil when she's like, okay, I, can, I think I got this breastfeeding thing. And like, you know, my baby's a little bit more interactive maybe. And there's some, some part of her that she's getting kind of figured out. And then I think there's another one in about three months and six months and 10 months um, that, you know, just one step at a time, 
um, she's kind of, you know, getting the ground underneath her a little bit more, but yeah, you're right. I don't think it just happens at six weeks or, or at the end of that fourth trimester, not at all. Um, right. Yeah. Like that there's one. Yeah. I guess I'm trying to just trying to think of how I would describe it. It's, it feels like culturally we're like, Oh, once you've got it, you've got it. Instead uh-huh. of like, like, there's new layers and different ways that you have to like, things you have to figure out along the way yeah um it makes me think too with with my partner who he was able to go down a lot and how much he works Mm -hmm. oh no my connection was unstable for a moment okay um so he just has been able to spend a lot more time with our daughter in the last year so around four which is really cool um, and he really didn't spend much time with her as a baby and didn't, yeah, I mean, he, he was at work. So now with this baby and him being around, it's like he sort of hasn't done this level. If it were a video game, I don't know why I'm thinking of video. <laughs> like he has not completed this level before. <laughs> Whereas, and it's still a struggle for me going through it again the second time. It's, def- it's different and in, intense in its own ways. But, um, but I'm a little bit more sure-footed than than he is because he didn't do this part last time it's like even though he's great with the older kid he didn't necessarily complete this lesson yeah last time so yeah it's just amazing to see all the different ways and shapes it can take yeah absolutely i love your video game analogy (laughs) 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 yeah yeah well, let's see. What else shall we talk about? <laughs> so you have a book coming out on this subject. Sounds like. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm currently researching it. Yeah. I just uh, I just published my first book um, earlier this year, and uh, and so this is the the book number two, and kind of talking a little bit more about this postpartum shift. Yeah. <laughs> So it's very exciting and learning a lot about, um, yeah, those kind of cultural uh, perspectives and sort of what, you know, what is the, um, what is the kind of, uh, what's the word, um, what's the dialogue right now around that postpartum period? And and I think um, it's so wonderful to see it ha- expanded really in the last couple of years, I want to say, like, I don't think anybody was talking about the fourth trimester um, two or three years ago, even. And that's wonderful. It's amazing. And I think we just need to keep expanding the conversation beyond that. We were going to talk about ecofeminism. <laughs> yeah. Um, I love that you kind of, you drew that birth analogy because I, I feel like I totally, although I've always been sort of, you know, uh, connected to the earth in a lot of ways and, and an adores person, um, I feel like birth really cemented that for me too. Like there's something about witnessing women in their just most wild nature, right? Like it's just the most elemental experience. And I feel like there's, I think that that's kind of where this curiosity about ecofeminism came from. And like this, I think this parallel that ecofeminism draws between the woman's body and the earth as you know, metaphorically a woman's body and the way that we've treated both. Um, And I think there's nowhere that it becomes more evident than in birth that women are of the earth. And, um, and I think it's, yeah. And, and I, I see what we've kind of, what we've done to birth and it's just the parallels to the way we've distrusted women's bodies and the way we distrust the earth um, are, are, are to me completely parallel and completely linked. Yeah, yeah, me too. It's definitely a really cool parallel, as you said. And um, for me, birth is very much political. You know, I came, uh-huh. came to birth from, from a political kind of activism standpoint, like that mm-hmm. was what I've been doing. And I was a rowdy, 21 year old when I started going to births um and and mostly around environmental issues that was sort of the thing I was most interested in uh working on with the activism I was doing and so 
um, yeah, it felt really natural for me to take that and, and, and then apply it to what I, what I was learning about birth and, and then the other way around, like you said, cementing sort of that other piece of it. Um, like I knew, I knew we were connected. I was really interested in fertility and that sort of thing before I was ever interested in birth. Um, but yeah, then going to birth and seeing, you know, just the primal like experience that that is, um, and how powerful and amazing and just being like, obviously this is why we've tried to hide how cool this is because if everyone knew how cool this was and epic and amazing, like we would not, we would never be, we would have never treated women this way in our culture. I totally agree. I totally agree. Yeah. Yeah. And just the, the disconnect from the earth too and from nature, I think is um, a huge piece of what's gone wrong. If we can uh, judge it as so, I suppose um, with birth, you know, um, yeah. and in that extends into the realm of the movement specialist folks. And if we're not moving enough, we're not outside enough. We're not still enough. You yeah. Know? Yeah. I was just going to say, I feel like, you know, one of the other clear links, at least that I see in my practice is that, yeah, a lot of us don't know what's going on below our necks. Um, and we're so caught up in what we're kind of um, taking in and putting out via our eyes, ears, nose, and mouth that we actually don't have a relationship with our bodies at all. Um, and I think like the beautiful, one of the most beautiful and immediate lessons of pregnancy is that you get that relationship very quickly. Like you get schooled by your body pretty quickly, right? Um, that, that this is a physical kind of animal process. Um, however, I think that it deeply impacts our birthing process that, you know, we're just, I, you know, I've seen this kind of disconnection and how it plays out um in in women's births and even just our comfort with talking about how our bodies feel or um yeah it's at this level of I'll even say um you know disgust that sometimes I witness women have when they are you know either experiencing the birthing process or talking about the birthing process and like not wanting to talk about placentas or not wanting to like feel their baby's head emerge. And I think, Oh my goodness, what, like how did we get so incredibly disconnected from our wild nature? And like the fact that this is a completely normal, natural process, and yet, you know, birthing is sometimes the very first time a woman has really reengaged with her body um, and I think we also kind of need to like situate that within our culture and say, we've also, you know, no, it's not just about the phones that we all carry and the sort of amount of information that we take in and, and put out, but it also has to do with um, the way our culture kind of denigrates women's bodies full stop and expects us to look a certain way or be a certain way um, that's fundamentally impossible for us to live up to. Like we've got the diet industry to thank for the myriad ways we're divorcing ourselves from our body's um, language. And so I feel like there's a lot of things that have kind of created this situation where, um, you know, birth can be sometimes the first time that we can reconnect with our bodies. Yeah. That's, yeah. That's one of the things that I teach in the, in the mothership course is like, I call it the gifts of motherhood, that there's certain things that we, that, you know, yes, there is a, there are losses that occur when we, when we shift into motherhood. And also there's this kind of exploration of new territory that we get to do, like what's important to us now. Um, and also like, you know, the experience of embodiment, I think is something that we can take from motherhood. Um, the experience of, of our intuition is something like, you know, our, our, we kind of become heightened in those ways. We have this heightened awareness of our bodies and of our intuition and motherhood. And I think we can, we can kind of foster that a little bit and use motherhood as an opportunity to grow those valuable, powerful gifts that we have. Yeah, it's so exciting. Mm -hmm. Opportunity. Absolutely. I think it is. And I think like, you know, when you're talking about, you know, if only we knew that birth was 
you know, created such power for women and, and helped them to kind of witness what is possible for them. I think in the same way, you know, we need to start talking about that in the postpartum period. And it's not just something to survive. It's a time of tremendous potential, um, you know, and there's, there's tremendous shift that happens and it's, and it's scary and it's big and it, and it, and it, it can be challenging and sad sometimes even, but also if we're able to kind of really embody and embrace the shift into motherhood, there's just, there's so much power to be had in that, in that process. Yeah. That's sort of like mama bear awakening thing yeah. is really something to behold, I think. <laughs> oh, totally. Totally. Yeah. yeah. I know I've experienced it differently both times, but um, most recently it's been sort of like a, just like a fierce willingness to cut things out that like, mm-hmm. I don't, I literally don't have time for that. Like I don't have energy. I don't have an interest, you know, things that I'd be, ha- would have been willing to do, you know, even while I was pregnant. I'm just like, I can't do that anymore. And I won't, and I won't do it anymore. And just like, a, like there's a, a punch behind it that didn't exist. I feel like um, when it didn't need to exist, I guess. So it's really cool to see the different ways that that, sort of manifests yeah that's the one thing that I find is like kind of fascinating is that I I, you know I work with women through other rites of passage as well and I find that motherhood is often the catalyst for those changes to uh, you know all kinds of areas of our lives Um, it's a real perspective shift yeah and and it feels like it just focuses your it's what's important to you and who you are so much more deeply you don't have time for the rest of it. And it's pretty cool because I think it just, it can shift like so many things in our lives. I see women like, you know, starting creative practices or, you know, either leaving relationships or finding new relationships or, you know, all kinds of monumental changes because motherhood has kind of, um, you know, caused them to really look at what matters most. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I wrote a post on Instagram probably two weeks after my son was born that was talking about that and just like how it felt really um, like there were both sides of the spectrum going on. There were like these micro moments like where I was like living in the micro seconds of feeding and gazing at this baby and trying to catch a nap. But then there was also this like expansiveness of like, what am I doing with my life? what am I doing with my, you know, yeah, just, there's such a, for me, both times I've had like a really serious uh, plunge into like my own mortality. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like that's what came up for me both times. The first time it was shorter lived, but more intense. And this time it's been kind of like prolonged. Maybe it's my new normal. I don't know. Or I'm just like, Mm. I don't know how much longer any of us have got. Like, what am I doing here? And just, it feels very um, big instead of, yeah. Yeah, really existential. Very existential. Yeah, it's definitely been an existential experience becoming a mother. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's such an interesting experience to think that, yeah, no, I mean, it's not as though we're sitting there, well, maybe with my first baby I was, but... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> plotting out the next two to five years of our lives. But it's, but you're right. It's like this strange things that happen. And I wonder if sometimes if it's, I mean, if it has anything to do with the fact that we are in those micro moments that we're so completely present um, and, and oddly spacious in a way that we don't necessarily experience in our day-to-day life. Like there's just kind of this, empty time um in in a lot of ways when you're nursing or you know you slow down everything and I think in a way that serves to to put everything into a completely different sense of focus and get these moments of clarity right yeah and the hormones I'm sure oh yeah (laughs) (laughs) like I've gotta figure this out or you know my most recent thing has been um that well my daughter turned five this week 
and she asked me like are you gonna be at a birth on my birthday and she was like devastated you know that I might be gone on her birthday I was like I'm not gonna go to births anymore (laughs) I don't know if that's true or not um but I think I am very I'm very seriously considering taking a break till they're a little older Mm -hmm. Um, uh, because yeah it's just like these little people are so important all of a sudden um it's it's really yeah the priorities shift and yeah, just leaning into that and feeling into, like, how do we all meet our needs in these years when it feels like the needs are sort of endless from everyone? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. You know? Yeah, it's huge. It's huge. And it's kind of counterculture to say, actually, I'm going to choose not to be, you know, my most productive self in, like, the next and, and, and sort of extending that once again, extending that beyond those six weeks or the three months or whatever, but saying for the next five years, I'm opting out of the hustle and I'm going to focus on these babies. Totally. And your, you know, our emails back and forth came at such a good time. I feel like for me, because that was something I was already mulling and yeah, I feel like that frame of reference is like you said, a nice permission slip be like you know like I could make myself maybe do this but like will that feel good and is that really everyone's best interest and yeah yeah I saw this beautiful pie chart somewhere I don't even know but it was it kind of showed um the sort of you know slice of the pie that is you know your your kind of active really active parenthood and vis-a-vis the slice of the pie that is your career and I've seen that kind of, you know, vis-a-vis your whole life and to remind women like this ends, it's going to be okay. But, but it was fascinating to see it juxtaposed with career and realize, oh, actually, I'm going to be at this career thing a lot longer than I'm very actively mothering. I mean, we never stop becoming mothers but, or being mothers, but, um, but that's a huge wake-up call. And I think it's, a, yeah, I mean, it's certainly a wake-up call that I like have to um, I have a tension with it almost every day, you know, trying to make that choice between, um, between mothering and, and work, which is like personally fulfilling and it's challenging. Um, but I think it, it's, it's beautiful when it can be our own kind of authentic challenge, autonomous challenge, as opposed to a challenge that comes because our society is not allowing us that time to, to birth and mother, right? Totally. And I feel like that conversation is largely missing. Um, You know, I feel like in the attachment parenting world, there's a lot of focus on, you know, just being stay at home mom. And like, if you want to work a little bit like that is almost like, Oh, why do you want to, right. You know, just, just enjoy your babies. And, and for some of us, you know, like I really enjoy writing and, thinking and podcasting and doing these things. And so it's yeah. always this juggle, but, um, yeah. but the pie chart, you know, made me think of some thoughts I've had recently too, which it's been such a blessing, this second baby to have the five-year-old because I know, like, I feel like I can have like a extrapolation of what it's going to look like. You know, I don't totally. really, but like, Oh, once she's three, She'll sleep through the night because that's kind of how long it took her. <laughs> she was like two or three. Yeah. Um, and I'll, you know, be able to feel good about leaving her for the day at maybe daycare. Like we have this wonderful Waldorf daycare and, um, you know, just like those sorts of like, she, and she'll have days where she doesn't want to play with me. She just wants to play on her own in her room. And yeah. like I have hours and hours on end. So being able to know that that is down the road uh, yes. makes me feel so much more like yeah I can set this aside probably most for the most part at least yeah because eventually he's not gonna want to nurse six hours a day yeah <laughs> well, this, that's first totally the gift my new life yeah. I guess I have to figure out how to work now but but now I have the gift of seeing like no it's going to be different and that's totally totally the gift of like second and multiple time mother because I feel like the first time around you know that intellectually but you don't actually know it know it I remember feeling the same way when I was like I was like 36 weeks pregnant with my second baby and I'd gone on this kind of solo retreat in a cabin in the woods and um 
And I remember laying there on the last night that I was going to be there. And I thought, this is the last time I will sleep alone for the next three years, probably maybe more. Now I can report back. We're four years in. I am not sleeping alone. Um, (laughs) But it's with the first child, not the second. Um, But, uh, but I remember just like kind of having that moment going, okay, I'm up for it. You know, I'm okay. Um, If I had thought that thought, my first pregnancy um, that would have spun me down into a down spiral of devastation and, and fear, I think, but there was something very different about knowing that it would, this too shall pass and this too shall pass. Right. It kind of goes both ways. Yeah. Yeah. I love what you were saying about, you know, wanting to kind of have that, um, that, that personal fulfillment that work can bring or that whatever can bring. And that's something that I, you know, I think we forget that I think what happens to a lot of women as they become mothers is that they become creative, not just in the childbearing way, but creative in, in all kinds of different ways. Like I think it just unlocks this huge amount of creativity. And so it, there is this very real tension of, um, you know, of the work of mothering and that kind of all consuming work. And then also like, you know, having this experience of, yeah, maybe having your values shifted around your, your profession and your work, but then also having this enormous creative flow open up. And I, that's maybe sounds crazy when we're sleep deprived and, you know, and all of these things going on. But I think there is something about the spaciousness and the focus that we have on our, on our values and on our lives um, in that early postpartum period that we, we don't have at other times. And so it really does create this huge kind of um, outpouring of potential um, that can be hard to just like in the very pragmatic day to day, it can be hard to manage. Yeah. Yeah. I remember my mother telling me when I was trying to get the children, I think I was like a year postpartum and I had to go back to work full time. And so my kids were going to full-time daycare and my mom was visiting and um, you know, I was, I was, you know, trying to kind of do all of this, you know, beautiful attachment process as we were, as we were trying to get out the door and like, okay, honey, I hear what you're, I know that you're, you know, feeling scared or whatever it was. I don't remember what it was. And we were having this whole conversation. I remember, (laughs) which is, you know, something that I endeavor to do as often as I possibly can. Um, And I remember my mom kind of looking at me and going, I think this attachment parenting thing is, is not for people who go to work every day, honey. (laughs) It's like, oh yeah. Okay. You know, it was, it was challenging, right? It made it really, really challenging. I think, um, uh, because we were literally detaching from each other and how do we still, how do we still kind of have that bond and have that attachment when we're physically apart? But yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's a definite challenge. Also, <laughs> so will you tell me like the the commercial version of what you're offering with this mother shift program yeah sure where people can get more information about it yeah definitely so much so it's a, cool stuff to cover yeah yeah and we've covered so much of it too and i i love that I mean, a lot of it is just having more of these conversations and every time i run the program it's just this like you know, it's a sense of the permission to just kind of show up um, in all the messy states of that postpartum transition and be heard and held in that experience and have the opportunity to talk about it. Um, so it's a three-month program. It's a full trimester of support. Um, and, it, and really, because this, this shift takes two to three years, it's really for women anytime. And I've even had women who have like you know, two, three and five year olds um, in the program who have still gotten so much out of the experience um, and starts on September 24th and goes until December 10th. And, um, and yeah, so it's like a, a weekly uh, virtual women's circle and it's very light on content beyond that because I know that, you know, nobody wants to be sitting at their computers reading. So it's a very experiential kind of program in that regard. Um, yeah, and people can kind of head over to my website. Um, it's www.jessieherald.com um, and click on Mother Shift and you can kind of read more about it there. Um, but it's all the stuff that we've been talking about, this kind of identity shift into motherhood and goes through those phases of like, 
loss and grief and who am I now and who do I want to be now that I'm a mother? Who am I as a woman who is also a mother? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll post the link to the page. Click over there and check it out. Cool. Thank you so much. Yeah. Are there any other sort of concluding thoughts or I could talk all day, I'm sure. I know. I have to go to the chiropractor and do some postpartum <laughs> self-care. Otherwise, we can right. continue on and on. <laughs> totally. Absolutely. No, it's been a great conversation. It's so, so nice to kind of get some of these ideas out into the open and chatting about them more. And mm-hmm. hopefully the women listening, people listening will resonate with, that, with what we've said. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being here and um, for folks who somehow have not heard what our Indie Birth website is, it is IndieBirth.org. You can check out all sorts of articles, uh, over a hundred podcast episodes between Marin and I, and a bunch of different educational offerings and goodies there. Um, And until next time, thanks for listening.